Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, once again, verse 18. Oh, my daughter left me a note in my Bible. Hmm. Let's read this verse together, and then let's pray. Colossians 3.18, this is the word of the Lord. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Let's pray. Father, you know, probably with a smile and with pity, how much we need you and how much I need you tonight as we come to this text again. Lord, our desire is to honor you in all of our lives, in all of our relationships, in all different stages of life. And Lord, I know that there are some who are here tonight uh, who are wives, and there are some, and perhaps many, who are not. But yet, I pray, Father, that your word would be applicable and helpful and encouraging, encouraging and admonishing to each one of us. I pray that as we talk about the practical realities of marriage, that you would help us to see how Jesus alone has perfectly obeyed and how because of that obedience, we can be free from the weight and the guilt and the penalty of our sin by trusting in Christ. So let Christ be elevated in every heart tonight, I pray. I pray against confusion. I pray against distraction. And Lord, I pray against hardness of heart. Help us. We ask this in your name. Amen. Well, last week we waded our way into one of the most difficult verses in the Bible to apply, especially in our culture. Perhaps as I read this verse, uh, you bristled up and you thought, I knew I shouldn't have come to church tonight, right? Perhaps you feel a little bit of that. And we covered quite a lot of ground last week. And if you weren't here, I'm going to do some review tonight because I'm scared not to, uh, in case you're coming in cold. But I do have to refer you to the recording of last week, which is, which is online, because last week we covered uh, a lot of broad and foundational uh, material that is really relevant to this. Because we're saying, in order to understand such a, a charged word, a culturally charged word like submission, and to understand it in the context of marriage, then we need to understand submission in the broader context of the Bible, and even in the Christian life, because otherwise we're going to get in trouble and you'll start throwing things at me, and I don't want tomato on my face, right? But one of the big pictures that we saw last week, one of the big ideas that I'm suggesting to you, that is relevant not only to wives, but to all Christians. It's one, it's an idea that I want you to keep at the top of your mind throughout tonight and as you go into the world in a, in a few minutes. And that idea is this. God has created the world in such a way that he made submission beautiful. But sin disfigures everything. God made submission beautiful, but sin disfigures everything. One of the ways we saw this last week is that seeing how before the fall, God created the world and built submission into its order. Particularly the woman was made to be the helper of the man. 
That doesn't mean that she's inferior or less intelligent. It doesn't mean that at all because we saw that God himself calls God a helper. And if God is a helper, then we know that that is not an inferior concept. We saw that submission is not a result of sin, but rather a result of God's voice. That God created and is part of his good creation. But we also saw that submission has become, not just for wives, but for all sinners, submission has become difficult because of sin. We saw also that all Christians, no matter what walk of life you're in, no matter what, how you relate to the world, all of us are called to submit. Submission is a way of life. Citizens to government officials, employees to employers, church members to their leaders, children to parents, and so on. God has ordered the world with authority and submission. And so it's his plan for all humans. And that's because submission is good. And submission is beautiful. We see that most clearly because Jesus himself submitted The most beautiful and the most difficult act of submission in the world is Jesus submitting to the will of the Father as he went to Calvary and suffered for others and because of the sin of others. Not only did Jesus submit to his parents and not only did Jesus submit to his governors, but he submitted to his Father and his submission led him to the cross. And so last week, we were working our way through five principles for submission. <laughs> Ironically, it has become six, right? We got through two-ish, three last week, and now we have six. So scrap all the numbers. They don't mean anything anyway, right? Just, we should use stars or something. But uh, either way, we're going to pick back up on those tonight. And, and last week, I went into a lengthy explanation of how this is relevant for you, even if you're a guy, or even if you're not a wife, uh, or even if you're not married. Or, this is relevant to all of us. And, and, and I'm not going to repeat all that application, uh, but I did want to bring up one one new one. So one fresh one. This is relevant for all of us. God's word to wives and God's design for families is relevant to all of us for many reasons. But one I want to draw to your attention tonight is that if you are a Christian, you are called to be involved with and to love and to care for other Christians. And if other Christians are perhaps married, then there may be a time, I would venture to say, there it will be extremely likely that there's a time that you are in a situation where God wants to use you to care for another wife or another husband or someone to whom this applies specifically. Just today, I received a phone call uh, uh, from, a, from a friend of mine, and he, he was telling me a situation about a, a marriage that is falling apart. And he was asking my advice for how to, uh, how to help his friend in this situation. All of this is relevant. If you love other people, then this is relevant because God wants to use you to care for families. And I am sad to say that I have, I have talked with folks who have received horrific, unbiblical, worldly counsel from well-meaning Christians. And it has led to destroyed marriages. 
So we, this is relevant to all of us, even if you are not a wife. So the principles, five, six, whatever we got. The first most basic principle is that God calls for wives to submit to their husbands. God's idea, not mine. God is way better at ideas than me, so that should comfort us. God calls for wives to submit to their husbands. It's the plain teaching of the scriptures. And so if you are a married woman, or if there's a chance that you may become married someday, you need to hear this clearly. God's will for your life is to submit to your husband. If, you know, we spend so much time wondering and and praying, God, what is your will for my life? Well, that is part of it. If you are married, to submit to your husband as your husband as you are submitting to the Lord. We offered a definition of submission last week. We said that submission in the context of marriage means to please God by discerning and doing what your husband desires you to do unless it would violate your conscience. And you'll hear in that definition that submission is more than a reluctant obedience, but it is rooted in a desire to please the Lord. If you hear all of this tonight and you do not hear that this is to please the Lord, you are going to hear burden and misery and guilt and discouragement. This is an act of worship to the Lord. But you'll notice that submission is not limited uh, to when your husband says submit to me. Hopefully that does not happen or is extremely, extremely rare, right? But that you would be seeking out his intentions to honor him and support him and to help him. Submission is not a begrudging last resort only if he says so sort of thing, but rather it is a commitment to try to know and to understand and draw out the desires of his heart. Which brings us to the next point that we saw, that God calls for wives to submit to their husbands from the heart with an attitude of submission. Like all behaviors in the Christian life, God is not impressed by behavior that is detached from the heart, or rather behavior that is, dis- that is incongruent with the true nature of your heart. And I think it could be easy for a wife to get tripped up into thinking like this, right? Well, I don't blatantly resist my husband, or maybe it's even stickier. My husband doesn't insist that I obey or submit to him. He doesn't really require it, and he doesn't complain about it. Therefore, I'm not in violation of this command. Well, ladies, I would encourage you, please do not wait for your husband to demand submission. And I would even say, men, do not demand submission. Leave that to the Lord, uh, broadly speaking. But don't even give him an opportunity to ask, because this often goes badly. God's call in your life is not merely to submit to your husband's stated commands, but to seek to understand him from your heart, to try to discern his desires, even if he doesn't communicate them very well. And how could I make a statement like this? This seems very controversial. How is this biblical? Well, we saw from 1 Peter chapter 3 that when Peter speaks of feminine beauty, he says this, Let your adorning be of the hidden person of the heart, with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's eyes is very precious. 
Beauty is not from the adorning of the outer person, of the skin, the hair, the makeup, and the accessories. It's not even the adorning of your behavior, though that can be beautiful. Instead, beauty, imperishable beauty, beauty that does not fade or age, comes from the adorning of the hidden person, of the heart. So, one of the applications here is that any submission that does not flow out of a quiet heart and a gentle heart and a submissive heart is not attractive or precious to the Lord. He is seeking true worshipers, those who worship from the heart, not Pharisees who obey externally the letter of the law, but those who honor him. This is all by way of review, and it it brings us to the third point. Last week, I promised that tonight would get stickier, but also hopefully more practical, or uh, very practical as well. So let's continue to look at this important principle. The third principle is this, that God calls wives to submit to their husbands in everything. In my mind, this is where things get very hard. I told my wife, it seems like this would be so much easier if that clause just wasn't there, right? (laughs) Um, But as I started to think about it, I realized that I was wrong, right? Um, This is, though this is hard, this is also where submission becomes the most beautiful. But first, let's make sure we understand the text. The clearest text is the parallel passage in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 24, where Paul says, Now as the church submits to Christ, now also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Ephesians five twenty-four. It's that word everything that grabs our attention here. If submission... Well, we should say it like this. Submission is comprehensive. It is in all things. And I got to thinking about this quite a bit, but if submission was not comprehensive, it would not be controversial, right? If submission was only required in cases of total agreement, no one would care about this. This would not be that big of a deal. This would be easy. Like, if you agree, agree. (laughs) That's helpful, right? And that's why we have to see this word everything for for wives or children or employees or citizens or soldiers. We're not permitted to selectively submit, to decide where we want to obey, but to submit exhaustively. And of course, we'll think about some exceptions here in a minute. But just think about it. I mean, if you were to choose, if you were to be selective of the laws you would obey, how many of them would you obey? I can think of a few I would toss, right? I would have a lot of satisfaction going to the... Never mind. Not a big fan of the traffic cameras that make me like slam on the brakes when I'm going to go through a yellow light and endanger my family. Anyways, um, I mean, but just think about that. Like if, if, if uh, I mean, would you be selective on the taxes you paid or the work policies that you kept? Right? I mean, like we understand chaos would ensue in all avenues of our life. Obedience that is selective and submission that is selective, it doesn't work. I mean, what if soldiers only obeyed reasonable orders? Would <laughs> Has there ever been a reasonable order given to a soldier, right? They don't understand, but they have to obey or things deteriorate immediately. I mean, I mean do you see the point? 
Selective submission is defiance. And it's important to to understand that most human authority has limits. Right? My fourth grade teacher, bless her heart, she can no longer insist that I complete spelling exercises. She might try, but she can't do that, right? President Trump cannot insist that I pull for Duke basketball. <laughs> there, are, there are limits to authority, right? And although I would argue that there are still limits to the husband's authority, I want you to notice that this is a very comprehensive authority. The scriptures say wives are to submit to their husbands in everything, not in selective areas. Because as soon as you make submission selective or optional, you make submission empty and senseless. So one of the things that I just I want to say to you, because I feel like this is I feel like this is loving and helpful. Wives, there will be some times, perhaps many times, where the Lord is calling you to submit to your husband in sticky situations. There may be, no, there will be times where submission is hard and where it is sacrificial, where it will cost something. If you try to find a way around that, you're going to find your way into a whole different view of the Bible. So in everything. But we need to add another qualifier. The fourth principle is that God calls wives to submit to their husbands, yes, in everything, but even if he is unsaved, or sinning. Even if he is unsaved or sinning. Okay, so now it gets even harder, right? Remember that we've said submission is hard for sinners. Like everything else, sin makes submission difficult. And even though the Lord is holy in all of his ways, our sin makes it difficult to submit even to God who is always holy and never interacts with us unjustly or unfairly or even unkindly. It's hard for us to submit to God. It is even harder to submit to other sinners who, let's just say, are not God and do not always treat us with kindness and justice and, 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 and all those sorts of things. It is hard It's hard to submit to God, and it is hard, perhaps harder, definitely harder, I'd say, to submit to sinners, especially when they are sinning, right? And even worse, if they are sinning and they are unsaved, it's even harder. But we've got to see this in the Bible, so I'd like to invite you to flip over to 1 Peter chapter 3. I think all of this fits in Colossians 3.18, which is why we're trying to look at this uh, from, with the whole scripture in, in view. 1 Peter chapter 3. Verse 1. Likewise, husbands, we'll talk about the likewise in a minute. Likewise, hus- uh, likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some of them do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart 
with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, little L, and you are her children, if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Now I wish, as any preacher, that I could preach this whole passage and then preach the passage before that, and I think I might sort of do that, but I'm going to try not to. But I want you to notice that the clear teaching of verse 1, what it is, and also an implication. If you look back at verse 1, wives are to be subject to their own husbands even if he is an unbeliever. Which means, especially when we take this command in the context of the principle we've already covered that's submitted in everything, that God intends for wives to submit to their husbands even when they're sinning. I've got some caveats coming up in a minute, but let's just, let's just look at this first, right? We can get here in a couple ways. I think the easiest way to understand this is that to rec- for, for un- husbands who are unbelievers is to recognize unbelievers cannot do anything but sin. Now, you may not believe that, but the Bible teaches that. Unbelievers, even when they do things that may seem to be according to a moral moral law, they cannot do anything from sin. Um, they cannot do anything but sin because they do not have faith. And Romans chapter fourteen says, "For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin." Right? An unbeliever, even if they do things that that seem to obey the Bible, they're not doing it to bring glory to God. Therefore, it does not bring glory to God. Therefore, it is sin. Okay? So, unbelievers can't do anything to, to, to please God. They, they can't. So, even when they do the right thing, they're doing it for the wrong reasons. And yet, God calls wives to submit to unbelieving husbands. I think that's incredible. No, I know that some of you are in hard situations. Some of you have been in hard situations. And a text like this can be crushing. I'm aware of that. But I want to draw all of your attention to the paragraph that precedes this incredibly hard passage. Look up in chapter 2. Now, I won't, time to read, I won't take time to read it all, but just start glancing at some of the highlights with me. Look at 2.13. In 13, Peter speaks of submission to every human institution, right? We've talked about that. Then down, look at verse 18. He speaks of servants who submit to masters, not only to the good ones, not only to good and gentle, right? That wouldn't be hard, but also to the unjust. Okay, that could also crush you if you've been in a bad work situation. But here's where we get the help. In verse 19, Peter goes off on one of my favorite passages in the Bible to explain how painful, hard submission for the sake of God's glory is so beautiful. He points to Jesus, and he gets going, doesn't he? He, in an essence, says, when you submit to sinful people for the sake of pleasing Christ, you are in good company. You are following in the very footsteps of Christ. I can't help but read it, and I don't think you'll stop me. So let's look down at verse 19. For this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows 
while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if, when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if, when you do good and suffer for it, you endure? Oh, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called. Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his footsteps. Friends, let me remind you, this is not only to wives. That is to all believers. But Peter goes on to connect that Christ willingly submitted even to the horrors of of the cross so that you would be saved. And so ladies, please, please hear me. Please hear God's word. There is nothing that is more pleasing to the Lord than when you, mindful of God, submit to a difficult husband. That pleases the Lord. And we'll talk about special grace that comes for you. But I also don't want you to miss the power of influence that you have. I think chapter 3 includes a power of influence that is often overlooked, at least has been for me most of my counseling career as I've thought about this, right? Look back down at chapter 3, verse 1. So Peter gives this hard command, be subject to your own husbands, even if he's not a believer. But do you see the reason? You see the reason that he gives? Even submit, even to a husband who does not obey the word. Why? So that they might be one without a word by the conduct of their wives. Weary wife. I know there are women in this church who have been praying that God would save their husbands for years. And I don't know if that's you, and I don't know the details of your marriage and how hard it is, and I don't know what what it's like, but I want you to hear these words. God is not calling you to give up influencing your husband. He's not calling you to resist the impulse to influence him. Your husband needs your influence. Remember, that's why we said last week, God has made you a helper. Helpers help weak people, right? They help weakness. Your husband needs you, no matter what his maturity is like. And God is calling you, this is amazing, to use your submission to influence your husband. You see that in the text, right? He's calling, God is calling you, obey God, Obey your husband and then trust that in God's hands, your submission is powerful. It is a seed in the hands of God. You remember we said last week that to submit to the husband, to submit to a sinful husband as is fitting to the Lord is really an exercise of submitting to God, right? The question is not, do you trust your husband? Husbands are not always trustworthy, I'm not always a trustworthy husband, right? The question is, do you trust the Lord? Every time you submit to your husband, even when he is wrong and even when he is sinning, you are offering a sweet sacrifice of worship that is an aroma to the Lord. And part of how God is calling you to trust him is that he wants you to trust his power to change your husband. 
He wants you to obey and then trust that God has the power and the ability to change the heart, convert the heart, or mature the heart of your husband. And God is able to take even your submission as a sacrifice of worship and turn it into a radioactive force to change your husband for forever. You don't know how it will happen. So you obey. Humble submission in the hands of an omnipotent God is powerful. It feels weak. It may feel demeaning and miserable, but in God's hands, it is powerful. And he says in chapter 3, verse 1, part of his plan for those of you who are married to unbelievers or even fools is that God wants to use your humility and your righteousness and your obedience to change them. And that's incredible. And that should encourage you. It's probably a lot more effective than nagging or lectures or even leaving books on his pillow. (laughs) I've never heard of any of those things working. And so let's stick to God's word. Your submission in the hands of God is one of his special provisions to even change your husband and to help him. And though it's counterintuitive, Submission. I've sat in situations where I thought there's no way this makes sense, God. Right? Because I've tried to I've tried to walk with women who are going through this. I thought this doesn't make sense. Is this really what your word says? But submission, according to this text, is even a way to help your husband. And God may use it to change his life. But 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 it actually does make sense, doesn't it? Because if submission is beautiful. And obedience is beautiful. We know that beauty is powerful. Did did you catch that? Submission is beautiful. Obedience is beautiful. And beauty is powerful. It attracts. It allures, right? The world gets this. Like part of it. The world gets part of this. And isn't that what the world tells you, ladies? Be beautiful because beauty is powerful. And use your beauty to influence others to get what you want. That's the story of the world's feminism, right? Use your beauty to get what you want. And Christ tells you to use your beauty as well, but in a totally different way. He says, don't use your external beauty to influence. Use your imperishable beauty to influence. And beauty like that, not only does it last... But it can change the world. But remember, none of this makes sense unless you first trust God and commit to obeying his word even when it's hard. You trust first, then you obey, and then you step back and marvel at God's harvest. May not be now, may not be this decade, but there will will be a harvest. And does this not apply to all of us? Right? In, in, in marriage, God calls wives to trust him, not their husbands, as they submit to them. And this is the nature of all obedience. Obedience, especially when it is hard, is about trusting God. Not about trusting a person, not about trusting an outcome, and especially not in trusting in your own understanding. Who's, who's ever gotten in trouble before with that one, right? But it is about trusting in God. And obedience always boils down to this. Do I, who do I trust more? Do I trust myself or the Lord? Obedience always boils down to that question. Who do I trust more? Myself 
or the Lord. So wives are to submit to their husbands, even if he is sinning or unsaved, and in everything. But now here comes the big exception. The fi- this is the apple- point five or six, whatever. God calls for wives to submit to their husbands in everything except sinful things. It is never God's will for you to sin. Either sins of commission or sins of omission, right? We can build this. uh, This is an easy case biblically to make. But let's just remember the words of Peter speaking to the council at Jerusalem. We must obey God rather than who? Men, right? That applies in all situations, right? Your husband's authority is not absolute authority. It is, it has been given to him by God. And if your husband tries to coerce you or lead you or manipulate you, he's giving up his God-given authority in a sense. And not only are you free to resist his leadership into sin, but you are bound to resist that leadership. Because remember, this is why this all builds. The call to please your husband is about a call to please the Lord. And so you can't please the Lord by pleasing your husband and sinning. Right? It it makes sense. But I want to remind you, and this is helpful for all of us as we're trying to care for folks, especially in crisis marriage situations, that husbands can lead their wives to sin in different ways. In, in one sense, they can, they, can do the, uh, they can try to lead them to do sinful things, sins of commission. An, an example of this, as I mentioned last week, would be uh, to, to watch pornography together. That is sinful, and a wife can and should resist that. Another example would be helping a husband lie or cheat on his taxes or cover up the truth. But there are many more complicated gray situations And my best counsel without, I can't deal with all of them from the pulpit, would be to cultivate a conscience that is godly. Because the Bible teaches that we should not go against our conscience. But our consciences can go wrong, so we have to be very, we have to be careful. Um, Examples that may fall into this category would be doing something that, that would clearly endanger your children. That may be a a situation where your husband is making you sin. Another possibility, even more gray, would be extreme financial irresponsibility. We've seen a number of these cases here at the church. A situation where it may make things impossible for you to provide for your children or to pay the bills. That may be a situation where you can financially uh, go a different direction. We'll talk about that in a minute. Another option would be where your husband forbids you to obey the commands of Christ. We've also seen this here. If your husband forbids you to attend church, maybe not every function, but if he forbids you to attend church, that is, a, that is another uh, time that you can, that he is leading you to sin. Now, I could say much more about this, but I want to leave some time to discuss another, another matter. And, uh, so and, and I've already, last week we talked about how submission is an act of worship, and I'm not going to go through all that again. But I really do want to try to offer some more practical help for some of the everyday problems of submission. Especially with that everything, that pesky everything qualifier, right? Um, 
Perhaps some of you would say something like this about your marriage or most of the marriages that you know or most of the marriages in the church, right? You might say something like this. Nathan, you know, I hear what you're saying. I've got a pretty good husband. I mean, he's not the greatest, right? I mean, I'd appreciate it if he'd, you know, sit up off the couch a little more often and, you know, mow the grass, you know, but I've got a pretty good husband. He's a believer. He's usually kind, but, you know, sometimes he's got an anger problem and that, that really scares me. And sometimes he calls me names, or maybe, you know, you would say something like this. Uh, you know, i got a pretty good husband, but he's not reading his Bible. And I can just tell that since he's not in the Word, it is having a massive effect on our family and on our kids. How do I submit to him? What do I do? Or maybe, you know, you would say, hey, things might be a little bit harder. My husband isn't insisting I sin. Like, I get that. But he sure is sinning a lot. And I want to submit, but I'm really scared. I'm not sure what to do. Does the Bible just say, submit and then leave us to it? Does it just, (laughs) I mean, Paul seems to just drop the bomb on us in Colossians 3.18 and just kind of leave us, right? Like, what else does the Bible say? What What other resources has God given to women who are married to sinful men? Like, in other words, what resources has God given my wife? <laughs> That's what I'm saying, right? And if you're helping other, if you're helping encourage women, pray for women, older ladies, if you are trying to obey the scriptures and, and help other women as they raise children and as they submit to their husbands, you need all this. And I'm going to have to go fast. I can't elaborate on all this too much, but I want to give you this rough list and maybe sprinkle in a few texts here. And, uh, and I want to give you, hey, g- g- write this down. Go explore this more if you've got questions. Uh, but I just, I want, to, I want to get these out here um, because I know that you can feel very vulnerable if all you hear is the command, submit to your husbands in everything, uh, even if he's an unbeliever or a sinner. The first thing I want to say about this is I want you to remember, big picture, the Lord loves you. The Lord is your protector. I tell women regularly who are in bad marriage situations, I tell tell them, this does not please God. God hates that your husband is doing this. God hates that you're being treated like this. The Lord is your defender, and he is a better defender than you can be, your parents can be, the state can be, the church can be, than anyone can be. So you can trust him, okay? And so he has given resources, and I would say those resources stretch far beyond what I'm about to mention to you. So so look to him and trust him. He's committed to your well-being, And he's committed to your long-term happiness, even if you've married a man that is ruining your life. Okay? The first resource that I want to remind you of is to communicate biblically. Communicate biblically. Words are incredibly powerful, and they can build up or they can destroy. Words can be spoken when they shouldn't be, and words can remain not spoken when they should be. All of that causes all sorts of problems, right? We all know you can have the greatest marriage in the world, and you'd say communication is sometimes hard, right? So often, struggle, so often problems are compounded when someone does not communicate biblically. And no matter what your husband is doing, wives, you can commit to, filled with God's Spirit, 
communicate biblically. And the Bible has tons to say on that, right? The Bible's full of direction for how God intends for all of us to use our tongues. So this means that, wives, you're going to have to discipline your tongue, especially when your husband is being angry or foolish or arrogant or sinful. You're going to have to discipline your tongue not to sin in response to his sin. Two sins does not make a right. So often when sinners are sinned against, they sin in response. And we as God's people, we want to cut off that habit, right? We want to we want to fight against that. Remember, there's a huge theology of language and words and communication. So many things are going on behind this, but remember that God has not only given you the ability to communicate, but He is He often requires you to do so in certain ways. It is sinful to withhold timely words. Listen to Ephesians chapter 4. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such is good for building up, as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. That is one of dozens or hundreds of texts that command that we speak in certain positive ways. And there are few things that are more helpful for your marriage for, for this is husbands and wives and then to learn how to communicate in godly, timely ways. Just because you communicate does not mean that you communicate in godly ways. So that's one resource you have. A second resource you have, and this is incredibly powerful. Overcome evil with good. Overcome evil with good. Romans chapter 12, 21 is clear and to the point. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. If, as I think back on all the hours of counseling I've done in my life, this verse and this topic is probably what I talk about the most. Because everybody that comes to me is being sinned against by someone. And this is always relevant and this is always applicable. Do you see it? Did you hear it? The principle, I mean, and there's so many practical things here, right? But, but this is so helpful. If anyone is sinning against you, Romans 12, 21 is relevant. Overcome evil with good. When people sin against you, what do you do in response? Evil or good? Good, right? So just think about this. One of the most powerful and practical and God-honoring things that you can do is that when you are sinned against is to come up with specific, practical ways to do good to the person who just hurt you. One of the most God-honoring things you can do is to come up with specific, practical ways to do good to the person who just hurt you. And if you come to my office and you want to talk with me about it, we will make a list. And you will take that list home, and you will look at those ten things, and they will look so hard, and you will pray and pray and pray, God, help me do this. Help me write a kind note to my husband who is a jerk to me today. And God will give you grace, and you will do it, and you will have pleased God. Right? Respond to evil with good. It may be praying for them. That's the first step almost all the time. It may be a word of encouragement that they don't deserve in the scope of all that they've done that day. It may be a special meal. It may be physical affection to someone that does not attract you very much, right? But the key here is that you're giving what they do not deserve. And that is gospel behavior. 
overcome evil with good. A third thing is to make a biblical appeal. There are times, and there may be, I think, a lot of times in marriage, many times in marriage, when it is appropriate to ask a person in authority to reconsider. We won't look at this specifically, but Daniel is an example who did this. Uh, Esther is probably an example of someone who did this. To go to an authority and ask them humbly, prayerfully, to reconsider. Uh, practically, I would say, give them the benefit of the doubt and still be ready to submit. Still be willing to submit. But you can, wives, go to your husband and say, I, I, in fact, I would beg you, go to your husbands and say, I have a concern about this. Would you please reconsider? God uses that a lot. Not all the time, but he uses that a lot. Don't forget that you have... Submission does not mean giving up your influence and it does not mean remaining silent. Okay? Uh, a fourth... Uh, resource at your disposal is to give a biblical reproof. Reproof. Luke 13 says, pay attention to yourselves and if your brother sins, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. Right? This is real simple. Husbands are sinners and wives are helpers. What's a way that you can help a sinner? Yeah, you can, re- you can rebuke them. Sometimes the most helpful thing that a wife can do is gently, humbly rebuke her husband. I've been married for 13 years, and I'm, we're noticing that this happens more in my home. And I'm really thankful for that. I think I'm growing in this, and I think my wife's growing in this, and she's growing more comfortable with this, and perhaps I'm responding better, and it is a blessing. Right? You know this. I know you know this. You know what it's like to have someone who loves you kindly rebuke you and by God's grace to open your eyes and to see your error or see your lack of wisdom and to change and repent and grow and all of a sudden you realize, thank you for this person. Right? The proverb says that this person is a jewel, a treasure. I am a totally different man because my wife kindly rebukes me. I need her to do that. She can see sinful patterns and tendencies in my life that I cannot see and that I'm blind to. And it doesn't always go great, right? Um, But there are times when she rebukes me, not because she's above me and not because she has it all together or not because she's not submissive, but because she loves me. Don't you see how love fits with kind rebuke? So don't forget you have that at your disposal. There's many things to consider. We can't go into it now, but let me just put it out there. A fifth thing you can do is to seek godly counsel. Really encourage this, right? It doesn't have to be me, just godly counsel. Scriptures say in a multitude of counselors, there's safety. So I'd want to say to you wives, please do not suffer alone. It doesn't, you don't have to be getting beaten to be in a bad situation, to need counsel, Right? It doesn't have to be that bad. Seek the counsel of a wise, godly person who is committed to obeying the Lord. As I said before, I have seen well-meaning Christians give very bad, unbiblical advice. We've, we've seen it happen here. It is very painful. Right? Make sure that you seek counsel from someone who can show you in the Bible why their counsel is true. Not seeking opinions. Necess- there's a place for opinions, but... But seek biblical counsel. 
I think in many cases, it is wise to include your leaders. That may be a Sunday school teacher. That may be a pastor. Pastors especially are called by God and given the specific task of ministering the word in all seasons. Right? Do you remember First, uh, Second Timothy? Pastors are to preach the word, to be ready in season and out of season. I guess that's all the time. To reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience in teaching. That is counseling. That is exactly what counseling is. Counseling is patient teaching, exhorting, rebuking, and reproving. That's what it is from the scriptures. And one of the reasons it's wise to include your counselors, another reason, there's many uh, your pastors, is that if your husband is a member of this church, or the church that you're a part of, then those pastors have a measure of spiritual authority over him. And so they can speak to him in a different way than you can. And, and they, most of them will be happy to help you do that. There may be times and situations where your husband needs to be approached by another godly man or a pastor. And he may, need, he may even need to have uh, more severe action, such as discipline. Um, I'll just say this. If, if there's ever a time, I, I just want you to know this, not necessarily for your relationships, but for the relationships you know about. If there's a time where you know of a woman uh, or a woman and children who are in, in danger in their home, this church will send pastors or deacons or someone. We will go and help them get out. I promise. So don't be afraid uh, to, seek, to seek help. Um, another another a final resource is this, is that you can call the authorities. You can call the authorities. God calls for men to be, for all men, to be subject to governing authorities. And if your husband threatens you, if he hits you, if he throws things at you, uh, and even in extreme cases, if he verbally attacks you, then you should definitely call your church. Please do that. But you should also call the authorities. I'm finding, I tell women to do this. It is not unsubmissive to allow your husband to face the consequences of his own actions. And I have no problem with you calling the police and filing a report. And in fact, I often encourage it. These are some of the resources that you have uh, available to you as you seek to honor the Lord. But don't lose sight of the big picture. Because even if you take advantage of these protective resources, your husband still could hurt you emotionally, physically, in different ways. And so here is where I want to remind you of the example of Christ. We are all of us to remember the example of Christ. Because Christ suffered unjustly because of our sin. And because of his obedient submission, we can be saved. Let me close with this verse one more time. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. May each of us trust Christ as we follow him, even in the darkness. Let me pray. Father, I pray that you would use these words to help those in this room, perhaps even those beyond this room. Help us to extend loving arms to the weak and the vulnerable and those who are hurting. And Lord, help us to trust you in our own suffering. We ask this in your name. Amen. You're dismissed, church. Go in peace.